Welcome to The Better Build, a podcast that explores the world of software engineering leadership and the people who are shaping it. Let's get to the episode. Welcome, everybody, to our podcast, The Better Build, where we explore the world of software engineering leadership and the people who are shaping it. Uh, my name is Gabriel Sundaram. I'm COO at Mission, and I'll be your host today. Really excited for the conversation we're going to have today with Sophia Lush, who's VP Engineering at Agencia. Agencia, for those who don't know, is the digital platform powering American Express's business travel division. Sophia has been leading engineering teams for over 11 years now in Europe, India, and for the last year in Chicago. And so very excited to talk about the realities of building and managing teams in different cultures. The field of software engineering has historically been skewed towards more men in the profession. So we'll take a little bit of time to talk about Sophia's perspectives around why that is and some initiatives to help change that bias or that historic skew. So Sophia, welcome to The Better Build. Super excited to have you on. Would love if you can do a quick intro about yourself and about Agencia, and then we can jump into questions. Thank you, Gabrielle, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So a little bit of history on my career path. It has been more than 20 years that I'm working on IT field. After a couple of years in Paris, I was able to get the opportunity to move to India. And now I'm in Chicago waiting for my eighth winter over there. But still enjoying <laughs> the internal environment that I have the opportunity and the pleasure to work with, which is part of what brings me energy as well. Happy to be sharing some of my learning and story with you. Awesome. Appreciate it. So maybe we can talk a little bit about your path into software engineering. As mentioned, the industry is skewed. There's not many VP engineers who are women currently. I'm guessing in your education and early part of your career, you maybe were one of the few women who were part of teams. Can you talk a little bit about your path into the profession? Yeah, sure. I was saying that my roots come from Cambodia, and when we moved to France, I get the, the opportunity to be part of the public school and system. I, to be very frank, have a passion for everything that is scientific, math in particular. After graduating high school, I get the opportunity to go what we call a prep school for engineering school, which is two years of intense education in math, physics, chemistry. And it's that time that I get exposed to computer science because I don't have a family that has exposure to technology overall. And for me, those two years has been instrumental on my choice for my career path. During those two years, some of the uh, computer science classes, especially on uh, learning to code Pascal. And for me, it was a shock. It was a discovery learning languages. It was the power of creations. That really brings me into the computer field. And after those two years, I get options to go to different engineering school. I went to the one in South of France. And when I joined the classes, we were not even a third uh, as a female student around those uh, engineering school overall. And even when you go after to go to the workforce, uh, you can see that there's not a lot as well. So that's why I was sharing that one of the issues that we are facing for women in technology is if you don't have 
on your surrounding people who bring you exposure and a little bit of visibility what STEM is. It's hard to go that direction when you make a choice uh, for university years, especially that there's a little bit of cliche that those fields are more for, for male than, than female. So we need as well when we have opportunity to fight and remove those cliche and bring a broader view on what are the capacity and capabilities because the variety of work in tech fields are just boundless from mm -hmm. that perspective. And uh, the other part when you move your career path is that, yes, I, I do believe that in some opportunity, company can help to create a better environment for women. It's not only for women, but we have as well father being able to take parent leaves, which is great. So th there's that approach, but I really think that overall, if you want to have a, a bigger scale, it should come from countries level. If I just compare my own experience on living in France and United States, I can see that, for instance, France institutions has much more help in terms of daycare in place to keep women coming back to work, returning to work, where we are happy to say that in Agencia, we have all those work-life balance, especially parenting is a big period where people have uh, the opportunity to take uh, extended leaves. But it's hard as well to be able to find uh, good options for parents to come back. I hope that as we move toward those directions and be much more mindful around not uh, having 50% of the workforce, not being able to stay in the workforce, that is the focus that country should take that corporation. So Agencia is as well helping parents to stay and come back to work. Mm -hmm. I do personally feel like we've made good progress. I think there's still progress to be made. Uh, but definitely we talked last week as an intro call and you were talking about this input and output problem that has historically been a big driver of uh, not a lot of women being in the profession. What's exciting to see is I'm a father of two girls who are in their teens now, and there's not really a bias for them not to go into STEM. Actually, a lot of uh, my daughter's friends are very excited about going into STEM, and I think that's great. There's a lot of progress that's been made on that front, and I've experienced that difference between how countries think about supporting young families or families with the realities of taking care of young children. Daycare makes a huge difference. Being able to afford reliable daycare is a big difference. There is some countries where the cost of putting your child in daycare is almost equivalent to the cost of, or the amount of salary that you would earn. So a lot of parents choose to stay at home with their children versus going back into the workforce. So it's an interesting concept around uh, input, output. I think it's a good framework for people to think about how we can address both of those problems that historically have had an impact. So maybe we can take a couple of steps back. I, I would love to learn more about Agencia, the size of your team, and what initiatives Agencia's team is working on within the American Express group. On the Agencia side, we have what we call persona to divide the different ownerships. So on my end, I have one of the most used persona, which is the travelers. 
But I own all the traveler experience end-to-end. So the other per- big persona travel managers, so the people who decided to purchase Agencia, who, who will set up travel policies, etc., so managing the travel manager space, we do have as well another persona who is internal user, who is mainly the travel consultant. On my end, I'm really focused on the overall journey of the travelers. That's the reason why I own all line of business, transportation product, lodging product, insurance. And I do as well own the field where when you uh, sign in, you land on what we call a homepage, our front store. So that's the start of your journey. And in the meantime, I do have the touch point of the mobile team reporting to my own. So overall, I have 100 headcount in terms of FTE, a full-time employee, and the same size for contractors, so 200 people org, to just focus on the traveler persona. You mentioned you started your career in France, and then you moved, physically moved to India, correct, from what I understand? And then yes, uh, moved to Chicago. So when you talk about 200 people, are those people all in Chicago, or are they spread out globally? They are spread out globally. For instance, my lodging teams, the hotel team, they are mainly based in Seattle and South America because we do have as well contractor team working on the lodging space. Originally, the two dev centers that when we were part of Expedia based in Paris, so I start my career in Paris, then Seattle, those are the two, I would say, initial dev centers. But we took the opportunity when Expedia extend their footprint into India and we build a team for Agencia in New Delhi. And that's when I get the opportunity to say, hey, we have those teams. We want to make sure that they scale and they have the same engineering practice on what we have in Paris or in Seattle. And I have been asked by the previous CTO to move over there. And it took me quite some time to be very honest to say yes, just because, yeah, yeah, it was a huge, I would say, gap for family perspective. And it took me quite some time. I was not brave enough to say yes right away. It took me two years to do things through. But during those two years, I went back and forth. And then I say yes. And it was a a life-changing experience to live abroad. After settling over there, my main focus was really to build up the India Dev Center. And we get much more team, uh, put the leadership in place, etc. And Expedia purchased uh, Orbitz seven or eight years back and they were in needs to have a leader who can integrate our big Chicago team into Agencia. We say that every two or three years uh, when you get successful uh, transformation, you want to get a new challenge. After India, I didn't see myself going back to France, which I could have, but I was looking for a new challenge and it was perfect timing when a Chicago office opened for uh, getting Orbitz people to be integrated uh, with Agencia, the opportunity were there, and I have been proven capacity to do that for India. So I have been asked if I want to move to, to Chicago. And to be very frank, Chicago was not my first choice. I was looking to mm-hmm. go to Seattle because Seattle was the other big dev center, closer to Expedia Campus, etc. But there was this opportunity. And when I visited Chicago, I, I felt in love with the city. That's mm. such amazing environment. Yes, winter hard, but just a couple of weeks. And overall, the city is very nice. I found the team very in the same DNA mindset of agency. You can do attitude. We, we can go after some big challenge. And mm. that's bring me all the good reasons to 
move again and have all my family living in Chicago. And it has been a blast. My son, he's middle school. Now he graduates. Uh, so it has been a journey as well for the entire family. And so far, we still enjoy our stay over there. So from racial perspective, I would say I have equivalent uh, numbers of people on the four different locations between uh, Paris, uh, India. We do have as well a big partnership with IBS. They are based out of Kochi. So we do have as well a, a big number of our employee contractors over there. And then mm -hmm. we have Seattle and Chicago, and I would say it's mm -hmm. uh, almost the same size. So I have an equivalent uh, footprint mm -hmm. on the, the four locations. The Better Build is brought to you by Mission. Mission is an award-winning network of senior-level software engineers and product builders, backed by a platform that helps engineers continue to learn, grow, and connect. To get your team of fully managed, fully remote, and fully flexible software engineers, or to join our community, visit us at mission.dev. So for the other engineering leaders out there who are thinking about scaling their team internationally, can you talk a little bit about your experience building teams remotely from a distance and then the decision to actually physically go to India? Uh, it sounds like the team in Latin America, you didn't need to move there to be able to build. Was it about the size of the team or what were the variables that kind of drove the decision to actually physically move? And what are the pros and cons of trying to, to build that team remotely versus in person? I would say the two choice was around, is it a long-term investment where you want to get a full-time employee versus having perhaps a couple of years investment and where you want to get flexibility around your workforce and then manage that with a contractor? To be clear, the time when we decided to move to Gurgaon and have a physical dev center, Expedia made that call for the entire group because it was a big opportunity for us. We were pretty sure that we have a unique value proposition for the workforce over there because we are a tech company working on the travel domain. But when we set teams over there, we set the entire team with product manager, with all different roles. It's not like you are having an, an offshore team that will have only the execution pass. Every team has capacity uh, to be deeply engaged and because they have as well product manager on site. So we build the entire team. It's not just a subset. I think that's what makes the difference, uh, I would say, to empower the team at the same level of execution than any dev center. We don't see any difference between execution. That is very key on the way that we decide to go. Even with our partners, even though we say that we want to have flexibility, for instance, to be very transparent, during COVID time, business travel was not a thing, right? We shut down, we lost almost 90% of our traffic. We are very close to zero traffic. During that time, we had to get opportunity, of course, to work on the strengthening our platform, but there was some tough choice to be made around staffing. And the mm. fact that you have a contractor, it was easier for us to let go contractor versus yeah. a full-time employee. And that's what we did as well. Mm. So that's the ratio. The advantage of exactly with contract, right? Yeah. Yes. But to be very successful, and especially if you start a dev center, you need to get a couple of few leaders to mm -hmm. be on site to make sure that we instill the right seat at different teams. And mm -hmm. I would say groom them so the seed grow and get the fruit that will be generated for the next year and so on. So leadership pipeline is pretty much important and and 
to have a foot over there, you, you need to be very present to start mm -hmm. with. So that's mm -hmm. the reason why moving to New Delhi was the reason behind that choice to be over there, make sure that you instill the right mindset and value. I think, for instance, one of the elements that I did that was shocking when uh, I joined New Delhi is that I have to let go some few elements that was not good for the work, for the workplace. And I think it was a shock to kind of lay off someone. I did that and it's pretty much better ambiance that was accepted, but I think it was a change that people were not used to. So perhaps it would have been difficult if it was a, a local manager doing that versus me coming outside, bringing a new perspective and outlook and trying to create that uh, dynamic, uh, that strengthen relationship between uh, Paris to India and Seattle to India. Mm -hmm. How was it to bring that new way of operating, those new perspectives to different cultures? I have to imagine, I think most people have interacted or had a chance to work with different people in different countries. Definitely there are cultural differences between France and India, France and the U.S., what were some of the learnings in terms of how you had to navigate that and really create cohesion across not only countries in this case, but it sounds like different culture, corporate cultures as well? Yeah, there's always a local flavors based mm. on the society and background, but there's always a standard that you want to bring your team at mm -hmm. a global level. You have to be open-minded to acknowledge that those exist, but you can as well be open to discuss those uh, challenges. So one of the benefits I was having being in India is that I was outsider, meaning that I think at that time, so 10 years ago, it would have been more difficult for women to be outspoken in India, or you have really to behave like a male, which I was not. And mm -hmm. I get uh, questions around how you get capability to voice your ideas if you are not uh, loud, etc. There's a completely a different way to manage it. You don't have to be different person mm -hmm. to be able to sell your ideas and, and influence. And that's the part that I think that being outside as a foreigners, I didn't have to be judged by the standard of society sometimes. So mm -hmm. it was a kind of benefit for me. I play a lot around that being more shocking in some extent to let them question themselves, the way that they behave and the reason why and why it cannot be uh, a different way. And because the fact that in the past, the trust that the team was having in me was one of the success factors that I was able to make those change in the mindset, making mm -hmm. sure that people feel that they are in power and they don't need to get the buy-off of uh, every decision that they need to go. That's mm -hmm. helped a lot on the journey. And on US, on the contrary, I didn't have the same challenge. It's a different type of culture. I saw that it would be much more shocking going from France to India. That's some mm -hmm. extent it's true, but I think there's as well a big share of a challenge in the US where people are not confrontational. So I don't know if you read around the different type of uh, mm -hmm. uh, behavior between being confrontational or avoiding that or being a French person as well. I play the card that I'm a French person. So being confrontational is not uh, mm. an issue for me. I would rather right. go to the battle, but I pick my fights and then try to make sure that people can see that I'm open to listen all the perspective. And once we, we get to that approach about trust, building trust and trust can come from different way when you are interacting with uh, Indian people or when you're interacting with uh, US people. But when you are able to build that ground 
it's much mm. more easier for the rest because you are building about uh, credibility, winning together. But in mm. the same time, at that level, you need as well to be uh, a little bit more, I would not say authoritative, but assertive to make sure that your points are heard. And when you talk about building trust, is that building trust around alignment of the team being successful or the company being successful? How do you create that alignment and that trust within the teams? That priority needs to be aligned across the board, but the trust for me is around making sure that once we align on the uh, directions that they have the power to make the decisions hmm. and they have the credit when things happen. Okay. If things doesn't happen and then have issue, then it will be me who needs to help them to remove the blockers. They can count on me. And that's the part that it's really important is that how much as a leader you can be the person to help remove the blocker, but as well have their back when things may not go on the right directions and support them. And I think that's the part that being true to what you say and what you behave is because that's the way as well how I trust people is that, mm -hmm. yes, uh, by default, I will trust you. I will see what you say, but I will look what you do. What you and do. it's yeah. your actions that will define and I will say confirm if my trust that has, I have put on you is right or wrong. That's great. Yeah, definitely your actions speak louder than your words. And this concept of really having your teams back and taking ownership when things don't go well and stepping up to really support people when things don't go well. But on the opposite end, not taking credit for, or all the credit for when things go well. And so I can see how investing that time to build trust allowed people to buy into a new way of operating that was potentially different than they were used to. I like also that you played to your own advantage the fact that you were coming from outside of the culture and the norms of those teams and was bringing a new perspective. And it sounds like by bringing a new perspective with shared alignment around being successful as a team and then supporting, you were able to get that buy-in. I'm curious when you're building product, when you're taking calculated bets in terms of new product enhancements or new technologies or new paths forward, there's always some degree of risk involved in our industry and there's always failure. What I've found, having worked in Canada, worked in the U.S., in the U.S., they seem to be much more open to failure. Failure is really a stepping stone to success. In Canada, we seem to be much more conservative and shy away from failure or people who have failed. How did you navigate helping discuss and support teams in different countries and cultures around the concept of failure? What's the reality in Europe versus India versus the U.S. from your experience? That's a great question. And actually, I believe that the educations and reactions we have to our failures come from the school system or parenting. Just to share an example is that French have this, how they call excellence. They put the bar so high around excellence that yes, that downside of that is that people are afraid of being not a high achiever if you are not able to be excellent, which is in some occasions a blocker for you to improve, right? If you never fail, how you learned 
and improve right. to go to the next level. In India, I would say that it's almost the same perception I have around their behavior in terms of they will avoid to fail, though they have as well an issue around not saying no. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, 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 there's a, a, a fear of failing, but there's as well a fear of saying no. So we have a little bit more challenge over there. Well, French will say no if uh, they don't agree, but they have uh, a great fear of uh, failing as well. So uh, around that, we do cultivate in agencia is this mindset. Failing is fine. Is mm. how fast you can recover. It's not the part of failing. And that's this mindset. We distill that on what we are doing around A-B testing. Every change that we want to bring, we want to make a data-driven decision by having mm. uh, getting the feature out there and have the control and the variance and see if your hypothesis is good or not. And sometimes we fail. We learn based on the behavior of our clients, that the ideas that we are having on how to make them more happy or things that we think will be much more easier with some ideas didn't work out. And the, the data show us that we fail sometimes a lot. Sometimes it doesn't make a difference as well. It's mainly around the leadership reactions. Mm-hmm. When we fail, what do you do with that? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part that we are still uh, learning and how to make sure that we can take those risks, depending on the, the, the context, the risk can be a bigger one. Uh, so, for instance, we are doing the 2024 uh, budget planning. And yes, we are looking on all the opportunity and what type of risk we want to take that will mm-hmm. become a big driver for uh, the growth of the company. But every team has the capacity to take their own decision and get some yep. level of risk. What is important is how you react and behave once failure happens and how you rebound. And is that acceptance or acknowledgement and comfort with failure something that came from a country culture or is it more from the startup tech kind of culture and moving fast, failing fast and learning? Because it sounds like from our previous discussion, Agencia has a very specific culture relative to the rest of the American Express group, and you have a little bit more of a startup culture. I think, yes, it's, I would say it's a tight more to the tech-led company wipe because now we, I think we, with all the process we have put in place, we are more closer to a scale-up. But mm-hmm. that's true that the mindset that we were having to scale, to fail, but grow fast was mm-hmm. one of the motto that we are having on uh, the early age of Agencia, where the innovations was constant and we were able to take much more bigger risk, just as well because historically being part of Expedia Group, we were uh, only a 10% of the overall activity, so we were not that much material, so we were allowed to take much more risk, but that stayed with us, the fact that, yes, Overall, the, the, we are having bets, we are willing to take risks, we are willing to innovate on the field that are uh, not necessarily well-established technology, but trying to make sure what we can get out of them. That's part of our DNA. Awesome. So maybe we can change gears a little bit and talk about your journey moving from an IC to more of a leadership role. The technical side is very important in terms of being able to move up in your career path, but then it becomes more and more about the people side, the people management. And so what are some of the lessons that you learned along that journey from shifting from an IC where your technical skills were probably valued the most to then shifting more to a world where your people skills became more central to your day-to-day? 
I start as a web developer, so that we can say a full stack developer. So I did the coding the first six years. When I achieved to become what we call a senior developer after six years of experience. And from that time, there was an opportunity to shift a little bit to take more upfront projects. So then I realized the interactions, not just the executions of uh, developing a good code base, but as well having the influence upfront was something that I enjoyed. But the more I do that, I realized that influ influencing people was the key part that makes wants to go to the management path. And mm -hmm. I really liked having a capacity to perhaps help people to either make the choice on their career and just as well on the executions on day in day out. What really makes you in terms of a call to go to the management path, having the title, it might be interesting for people to be a manager, but for what? So I was very clear around uh, what and why. And I think that's the part that when I discuss with uh, people who has an appetite to go on the management path, then are you clear about what you want to do when you say management and the why? Uh, mm -hmm. Because you can be impactful and have a subset of what we call a management uh, role. You can perhaps just manage a project, but without managing. As long as you have a clear vision why you want to go on that path, go ahead. Mm -hmm. If you don't, it's okay to find opportunity to have a subset. So what we are doing when, you know, we are trying to build the next leadership pipeline, we always try to see and seek opportunity for people who have interest to go to that path to have an exposure of different aspects of uh, management role and see if they enjoy to do that. Some people will realize, oh, yeah, actually what I like, I like managing the project, uh, the timeline, the execution, but I don't really like to manage people problems. So I'm not perhaps uh, a people manager. So that's really mm -hmm. important to be able to differentiate all the different flavors, what you like, what you don't. And if management pass is not what they think of, they can go back to the IC and we have that flexibility in the agency. We have people moving from different roles. So I start as an IC as well with agency. And when I, I took the, the management pass, it was as well and for me, really, it's the fact that I have visibility and, and the way that I can influence the executions, the roadmap, helping people to grow and mm -hmm. find a match between their own aspirations and what is the need of a corporations. I think that's where a, a manager position is a, a great one because you can make those match happen. And when that's happened, you see magic happening. You see how people flourish on their positions, have a lot of energy. And for us... As a manager, when we are able to, to make the good match, that's where you see your team outperforming. Yeah, I think two months doesn't sound like a long time. I've had a conversation with several folks who have moved into leadership roles. And I think it's okay. There is a moment in time where you're having this self-reflection and asking yourself, oh, do I want to become more of a specialist? I'm still interested and excited and want to learn more about my craft. But I also am interested in learning more about this other path of management. So do you feel that people are often approaching the possibility of moving into that path the right way? Do you feel like you have to pull people into being taking the reins of being the next uh, group of leaders within the organization? Would you advise people to be more proactive in terms of expressing interest in going down that leadership path? Or do you really feel that it's the manager's role and the organization's role to 
identify that from a distance and be able to get people interested and excited? Yeah, I would differentiate leadership and people manager because I do have very talented IC who has mm. very strong leadership skills and they have a tremendous impact on our business. But they are IC, so they don't have just the people management aspect, but the other aspect around being able to influence the org, being able to advocate, to share ideas, to sell ideas, those skills, I would say either you are an IC or people manager, those are mm -hmm. critical depending on the, your level of seniority, how you want to really have an impact on your organization. So that's part. It's always a craft that every individual can improve. I'm trying as well to improve on my end those skills because even at VP level, you need to be able to really sell ideas and influence the org. So it's always a journey and a learning opportunity. We have some very talented uh, IC where they really enjoy the technical aspect, being an, an expert. And, and those people, it's fine as well for the organization. We need as well people who are experts on their field, who can go 10 times faster because they know everything around that. That's fine as well. But usually what we try to do is that bring opportunity for people to try something else. Just let them know that there's opportunity out there. And if they want to try it, it's okay to try it. We have possibility to do interim management. See if you like it or not, because the, the best way to really think about, is it a pass for me or not, is to try for a certain period of time. So that's great if an organization has a way to do that at scale, expose people to do that. We are doing on an opportunistic way where when those happen, we are looking on our next leadership pipeline, what we can try to expose and what we're seeing that is too early. And then we try to find a compromise on saying, hey, I think that this one is very good for you. You can do that and then you will be able to expose to a new domain. You will be able to expose to uh, new people who interact differently from your, I would say, the in, the out environment. And that's a way to learn and to scale as well. So we, we try to do that. And so far we have seen some reluctance of people say, oh, I don't think I'm ready. So that's mm -hmm. the part that you need to find a balance. If they're not ready, to go to that direction, that's okay, but we can try later on. The most important part is to keep a pulse on where they are on their journey. When mm. they do, you feel that uh, we can push a little bit to, to stretch, to see if they are ready for the next level, having every manager looking for different people and talent resources, not necessarily on their team, help a lot. And we do have those conversations around our talent retentions mm -hmm. and making sure that we find opportunity to always keep them. Uh, on their journey of growing mindsets. What are your thoughts around mentors? Have you had mentors in your career? Uh, what role have they played? And any of the organizations you've been part of, have they had formal mentorship programs? And what some of the success or shortcomings you've seen of that? Yeah, so in agency, we have a mentorship program. It's a, a global one. It's not necessarily just for product and tech. The focus has been to try to connect the dots between different people because we have the skills, people who say, I, I'm looking for a mentor for those specific skills, and we try to, to match that. So that's great that we have a formal program to do that, and it works well. GBT is launching growth at GBT, so it's brand new where every person can define what are the skills that they're looking for. And we have a third-party platform that bring all the content and it's on your pace, I would say, to take the training and session. So that's the part that it's new. That's the hard part, right? Getting the time for yourself and taking the time because organization 
We say you can take the time, but it's up to the individual to take those time. So we see how much successful we are. It has been a lot communicated across the board, but we don't have yet a return of data to check that people are taking the time to learn new skills. So hopefully in a few weeks, we, we get the data to look at that. But the program around mentorship for Agencia is doing well. We are trying to see if this program can scale up. We do have mentoring sessions, so it's on a regular basis. We do have different leaders who will be panelists, and then we have those conversations. But the, the key part is really when you know what you need, being proactive. What makes a real difference is when people take ownership about their own growth, and we'll seek a mentor. For instance, from, from my side, what has been very useful is when I have a specific topic to discuss, I will go always to a, a, a network of mentors. A lot of them are just a former manager. Note me, I'm going for former manager because first they are no more on the agency side, but they used to know the agency right. context and they know how I am and what are sometimes my uh, shortcomings. So they know me well, they know the environment and their, I would say, perspective and feedback can be more accurate. But I do acknowledge as well uh, in some occasions that you need fresh eyes and uh, mentoring is not necessary. Yeah, and it's not necessary people who have more seniority than you. It can be as well your peer, it can be as yeah. well. Uh, in some occasion, I, I'm still learning when I have some conversation with my teenager boy uh, who <laughs> has different perspective yeah. around technologies. And, and I learned from Ariane, for instance, Goran, so president of Expedia for Business. She has a circle of mentors who are younger generations mm -hmm. just to make sure that she has those Perfect. and it's yeah. not too biased around your own filtering, etc. So I find that very, very interesting. Yeah, very, very interesting. And at the beginning of the conversation, we talked uh, a little bit about the realities of being a woman in a mostly male biased industry. Anything else related to that topic you wanted to discuss? We're talking about mentorship. Are there any initiatives that you've been part of or participated or as a woman looking for advice or mentorship, other programs that you have supported that you feel are important related to that topic? I used to have much more active positions on those topics before COVID. Okay. <laughs> so I was, for instance, part of the Well Women at uh, Expedia Learning and Leading, which I think all Expedia is still doing, a group of women who will be supporting each other on their growth. And I think it's very important, especially in India, because the, the group was pretty small, and, but we're having all those different conversations and it was good to have a network of leaders together. At that mm -hmm. time, when I moved to Chicago, one of the events that I really was around being able to meet high school girls, because I was mentioning that it's a lot around demystifications on what STEM or technology is. And the more you can discuss with young females who will make a career choice around what they will be learning in university, it's a very key. Girl con that happened naturally because of COVID. It was interesting to see and have those conversations with high school girls and there's less anxiety to say, oh, it, it is not for me. I think that they project themselves now because we talk around the different roles and opportunities that you can have in a tech-led company. And I think that helped just to 
see you don't have to be a developer <laughs> that's what i was mm -hmm. saying that there's yeah. much more than just a developer in a tech-led company and a lot of girls were saying i like the creativity part so mm -hmm. i think that can be a good match because it was mm -hmm. my criteria to go to the computer science field because of the creative part and i really think that can echo as well to other girls when mm -hmm. we have those conversations and re remove a little bit of uh, bias and the mystery. On the GBT side, I'm, I, I did run the March History Month where we do have uh, uh, all the women to celebrate. And uh, from that perspective, I ask uh, a few of my network uh, senior leadership team to come and discuss about uh, their own uh, passenger journey. I think those type of events help mm -hmm. uh, women to project themselves on yeah. uh, their aspirations or model mm. and see how people overcome some of the challenge. It's yeah. helped, but uh, it's a pretty small. So I don't know if uh, the impact I can have is a big one, but mm. uh, when I have opportunity, get invitations to, so I think the next one was to be a panelist on the mentoring conversations. I go and be over there, but there's so much that we can do. And mm. at this stage, I really think that I don't have, a, I would say, a program per se, but every opportunity mm -hmm. that my network bring me, I'm trying to say yes, because I really think it's important to pick. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's very tactical, strategic feedback and advice that people can get, but sometimes as simple as being a role model can be very powerful. I think it depends maybe on the age group that you are communicating with or providing exposure to. But definitely, I think a lot of people have talked about the impact that seeing somebody that kind of looks like them, sounds like them, moving forward and being successful in a specific industry or profession, change their feeling around the possibility of them going down that path. I know personally, that was a reality for me when I was very young and interested in business. I saw that there were some leaders that were leading large tech companies that looked like me. I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. It's rare that you will see CEOs of companies that are of Indian descent or mixed descent. And just seeing that as a possibility attracted me to the profession. And so role models are very important. So it's great to hear that you're participating in those opportunities to provide visibility for people. Awesome. I think the conversation was really great. I'm wondering if there's anything else that we didn't touch on that you'd like to touch on or? I, I, I think we cover all the different topics that you mentioned last time. Okay. Awesome. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Have a great weekend too. Bye-bye. Bye. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your preferred listening service. Stay connected with us on LinkedIn and visit our website, mission.dev, for more information on our network and platform. See you next episode.